Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Friday, DMZ. Uh, I'm sorry we couldn't do a midweek like usual, but it's good to get one in regardless. And it gives a little, a little bit more news to digest. A lot of stuff has been has has percolated in the past 24, 48 hours. That's right, Bill. I think it worked out in our best interest, maybe not in the best interest of some of the people we're going to talk about. But uh, it did. I think it's it's been good for us and the DMZ fans, uh, Bill. But I think we ought to start, of course, with maybe the big, I don't know, maybe the big political story of the week. That's Nikki Haley's entrance into the presidential race. What do you think? Now, I, I would think... Uh, someone like you, Matt, who is, you know, conservative, not a Trumper, uh, essentially, essentially a, a Reaganite conservative. Is that a fair depiction? You're st- old school Reaganite. I will plead guilty to that all day long, Bill. I, if, if you can set aside the various flip flops of Nikki Haley, uh, just look at positions that she has taken. I would think Nikki Haley would be your kind of Republican. I think that's right, but that's a big thing to set aside. I mean, flip-flops, in her case, the flip-flops are about Trump and about his character and about his fitness for office. And so flip-flopping on those things, I think, raise character questions about Nikki Haley. But yes, to your point, if you were to set that aside, a big thing to set aside, uh, I would certainly uh, be happy with Nikki Haley. And uh, I was in, in my 2016 book, Too Dumb to Fail. Uh, she's one of the, you know, one of the highlights or one of the heroes uh, of that book. I, I don't forgive me if I sound too charitable to Nikki Haley. I, I certainly don't mean to be. I'm not, I'm not a big Nikki Haley fan. Uh, but I mean, what Republican hasn't tied themselves up in knots over Donald Trump at this point? I mean, well, who, I think who, the Republicans who, who, who have there generally are the Republicans who were not, um, who were not top tier when Trump came along, and so. You know, Ron DeSantis is, yes, he's been tarnished by Trump to a certain degree, but he benefits by virtue of the fact that he really wasn't a prominent figure until after Trump. I think someone like a Glenn Youngkin, for example, hasn't really been tarred by Donald Trump. Um, so it, people who are sort of new on the scene have escaped the worst of it. Nikki Haley, though, I think deserves some additional scorn because she actually pulled off this amazing maneuver where she survived working in the Trump administration without being tarnished. A pretty amazing feat. I think it happened probably partly because she was in New York as ambassador to the UN instead of Washington, D.C. But she makes it out of the burning house unscathed, miraculously, and then hangs around outside and gets caught up in it. And so that also makes me question her her political instincts. I mean, she's very charming. She obviously has a lot uh, to recommend or to commend her. Uh, she has a lot of political skills, but I do wonder uh, some, something about her political instincts and judgment because she basically made it out and then ended up becoming embroiled in it after the fact. That that was a weird thing to do. I mean, I I, I hate to say I have sympathy for, her, but <laughs> but I it is obviously very very hard to put together a coalition of Republicans while being explicitly anti-Trump. I'm not, again, I I think someone should do it. I think someone should fight that fight and excise the cancer from the party. But since there is no 
unified effort to do that. I mean, if, if, if I mean, ideally speaking, like, you know, the Lions should have already get together and say, look, we just got to rip this cancer out of the party. Even if it hurts us in the short term, he is, he is so toxic. If it means a bad couple election cycles, so what? We got to get rid of this guy. They haven't done that. So it's very hard to put that on the shoulders of one presidential candidate to do it him or herself. When that that's probably a recipe for being you know Liz Cheney and getting you know two percent of the primary electorate, if that. Uh, right. So you got to find but, a way to be creative about it. I mean, you know, Haley might be particularly ham fisted in how she's done it. If he runs, I won't run. Oh, I guess I will run. Um, mental competence for people over seventy five, but I won't actually say that Trump's mentally incompetent. You know, there's all like that kind of. You know, uh, yeah, is it? It's stuff. a little bit too cute, too cute by half, and I think that's what bothers me about Nikki Haley from an aesthetic standpoint. Is this whole Southern Belle? I kick, I, I don't kick sideways. I kick forward. Um, bless his heart. You know, just that whole. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, two people I really like, Kathleen Parker and uh, and Susan Sarandon. Um, but I also think it's a bit of a shtick. It, it, it's a way that Nikki Haley can kind of be sassy without having to, uh, pay the piper, you know? And, 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 uh, so I think it's a little bit of some sort of identity politics. I mean, basically she's her, her angle right now is I'm a woman and I'm younger. Like that's really the contrast with her and Trump. It's not about issues, certainly. But then she says the glass thing doesn't exist and don't and you shouldn't be vote for someone because she's a woman. Like she she's always trying to have it both ways. Um, but clearly, but you're right. The the really main thrust of the argument is uh, demographic. Um, she could lean harder into foreign policy. Uh, she did you know, uh, lump Russia and China together essentially as enemies of America in her campaign announcement. Uh, but she's not saying Trump is wrong on Russia and I am right. Uh, and when she, she gave, I think it was on the Today Show, uh, she was asked about sending money to Ukraine. She said, send them weapons and not money. And it's like, <laughs> you pay for the weapons. So, uh, yeah, I think that would be one area where she ought to stake it out. I mean, look, I think she could say we need generational change. And then instead of trying to be cute at some point, I think she needs to say, and that's for Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Um, She could also talk about Trump being a loser. You know, she does mention we've lost in, in her announcements video. She says we've lost maybe it was in her announcement speech, whatever. She noted that we that Republicans, we Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight elections. So she's sort of implicitly saying that Trump's a loser and that we need to change, but she's not really explicitly saying it. I think at some point you need to do that. And then why not stake out at least one substantive difference with Trump? And Bill, I think you've hit the nail on the head, right? Maybe it's Ukraine. And look, that is going to alienate and piss off a pretty vocal portion of today's Republican Party of sort of the paleocon isolationist, who knows, Trump, not Trump, Putin loving Republican Party. You're going to invite some attack, but like you need at some point to stake out something you believe in that's different from Trump. And I think that's an entirely defensible Reaganite uh, position to take. You know, I, I, it was Sean Handy that pressed her on that. And she wouldn't answer it directly. Uh, I think 
I think you brought up one comment that you made in the past. Um, I think it might have been a January 6th comment, um, January 6th thing that she said. And she said, you know, you know, when I, uh, when there's reason to praise, I praise the reason to criticize, I'll criticize. You know, she did that much, but she couldn't give, like, here is an issue position that I disagree with now. And there's an easy one to give. It's Ukraine. Uh, and I don't think she would, I mean, she could still do all this other kabuki. She could still sort of tip her hat to Trump and say, I thought he was a good president on the issues. And uh, we agree most of the time. And he's at a service to the party. Uh but I think Ukraine needs to uh, win this war. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump has said that we should stop funding it and, and, and negotiate. And I disagree with that. I mean, they, that can be yeah. a simple disagreement. And you can say, like, yeah. say, like, look, I think we need to have a vigorous debate about this. This is a serious thing, but I feel strongly about this. I think this is the Ronald Reagan wing of the Republican Party that I still believe in. And even though I agree with Donald Trump on a lot of things, I think it's time to move on to a new generation, to pass the torch to a new generation. Republicans need to learn how to win again and quit losing elections. Oh, and by the way, I still think we should be a force for good and a beacon, a shining beacon. Uh, and that's what we are. And we need to stand up against authoritarian regimes who try to invade their neighbors. I mean, look, if that doesn't work in today's Republican Party, then maybe Nikki Haley isn't going to be the nominee, right? Maybe we'll just maybe look at the poll numbers here, what, what poll numbers I've seen. The Republican Party is pretty split down the middle on Ukraine, uh, which makes that tricky, I get. But it also means that there is a, about half yeah. still open to the Reaganite hawkish argument. So why if, if Trump's going to tr- claim the other half of it, which granted, it's grown be, in part because of Trump. Uh, and I understand that makes things tricky, but claim the other half. Try to own that yeah. space. Right. I mean, it's not like tr- Trump isn't you know, sort of hedging his bets. He's staking out a position on this and he's only, it's it, his position's a 50% position in the Republican party, max, maybe a minority position, I hope. Why not go the other direction and also get points for being the first? I mean, she's the first, here's the other thing. If you're going to be the first in the race, why then be tepid? You've done something bold, which is to be the first person with the guts to get in against Donald Trump. Well, the- and yet you're going to sort of, you know, try to hope that he doesn't notice. Like, I don't want him to know well, that I got well, into the race. Well, I, I mean, her, the the main, th- I mean, outside of the demographic stuff, uh, and let me just say, I think generational change is not nearly enough for her because she's not the only person in her generation that's going to run uh, yeah. or, or, or at least younger than Trump. So that's clearly not enough. I mean, and, and you could try to say, well, I'm the only woman, but she's also doing that kind of, half-ass, because she doesn't want to say, both of me because I'm a woman. Um, uh, but she, she does all the time, you know, exploit it in cutesy yeah. ways. Yeah. Like, right. um, when I kick back, it hurts worse because I wear heels. Yeah, yes. She- Come on. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I, maybe, the, like, I'd like to know, was there a time, Bill, you tell me, because I, I think maybe there was a time when a much less jaded Matt Lewis would have found that to be a brilliant move. But I just, I don't think it works in today's world. I, I Maybe we've seen too much. What do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's a question here. Um, do we treat Nikki Haley's shtick more harshly because she's a woman? Uh, all politicians have shtick. A lot, all of them flip-flop to some degree. All of them do some corny things. Do you give Nikki Haley a harder time than you would another candidate doing something that's on par? 
But what would be on par for Donald Trump against Nikki Haley to say, believe me, I'm going to be tougher because I have testicles. I mean, like, like, because I wear wingtips. I mean, I mean, Trump, Trump has done things like that. And I don't commend it. I don't <laughs> applaud it. I condemn it. So I guess I'm being consistent in that regard. <laughs> um, but, but let's talk about another point that I wanted to make. I, I, outside of the demographic stuff, I think she wanted the thrust of her announcement to be Nikki Haley versus woke Democrats. Much, much yeah. more than Nikki Haley versus Donald Trump's isolationism or Donald Trump's this or that. Uh, and uh, it, cl- it clearly it, it animates part of the Republican Party. They love talking about the 16, 1619 project uh, and, and things. That, you know, I mean, she said that Joe and Kamala said America is racist, which they actually did not say. They said the exact opposite. I mean, they're, they had some sort of, they would follow with some sort of qualifiers. But when the question was put to them, do you think America is racist? They both say no. Then they, they just say this history that we have to grapple with afterwards. Um, uh, but that's that's the stuff she wants. She wanted to put forth the Republican Party and say, if you want a culture warrior to fight wokeness, I am your best then, bet then Ron to do DeSantis that. Is the, then Ron DeSantis is the nominee. If that's the criteria, Ron DeSantis will win. Right. I, mean, I don't necessarily think you're wrong there. I think what she was trying to subtly do is say, I'm a better person to fight that fight because I'm a woman. Maybe a woman of color. Well, I do think there's a long tra- a long and, and proud tradition in the Republican Party of affirmative action, of wanting to have um, minorities uh, to undermine the notion that we are sexist, racist, homophobes, whatever. Um, so it's not crazy for her to think it will resonate, but I think it is crazy for her to think that she can get in a race against Donald Trump, who, by the way, is a former president who, by the way, has already announced she, it is implausible to think you can now jump in the race against Donald Trump and focus on the left and focus on Democrats. Like, like if, if, and this isn't just the liberal media. I mean, if, if Pete Buttigieg got in the race against Joe Biden tomorrow, and said, oh, hey, guys, I know your game, but like, I just want to talk about beating MAGA. Well, I'm sorry, but you're running well, against Well, he did, well, he did kind of do that, though. I, 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 you know, Buttigieg did break out initially because of the way he went after Mike Pence. I mean, part, partly Mike Pence and partly because he was talking about uh, things like you know, changing the Supreme Court and the, and the filibuster. I forget which one he focused on the most, but that's sort of no, that, more That's busting. apples and oranges. No, Bill, that was an open field, um, an open seat. This this is Trump, for all practical purposes, is the incumbent Republican president. Biden is the incumbent Democratic president. Those two are essentially effectively in the race for 2024 already. So if a new person gets in the race and says, I don't, but, I, but I'm not here to talk about taking on it a fellow Republican or a fellow Democrat, like, well, excuse me, but that's what you're doing. You are running against Donald Trump. You are running against Joe Biden. And uh, you can't just talk about beating the other side and quote, kicking kicking back or forward or whatever Nikki Haley says. Well, it is typical for there to be a slow ramp up before primary candidates turn on each other because primary voters tend not to like it. 
they 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 want to see you unified against the other party. They don't want to see a food fight. So there's risk involved in being the first Are one work, to try to do you now draw work blood. for Nikki Haley's campaign bill. Well, hold, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> this, this, this is a different circumstance because what happened two minutes after Nikki Haley announces Donald Trump drops Oppo on Nikki Haley. Like he, he doesn't wait. Uh, so th- that game is already on. Uh, and there's, there's no way to get the nomination without getting through Donald Trump, without taking him on. So I, I kind of get maybe biding your time a little bit, but you can't wait nearly as long as I think normally primary races take to get to this point because Trump accelerates everything. Yeah, that is totally true. And uh, uh, let me ask you this. We should probably, we're going to keep it tight. What'd you think of, so I was a CNN contributor for four years. I worked with, um, so I worked with Caitlin Collins at the Daily Caller for several years. Um, I was a CNN contributor. I used to do a ton of Don Lemon's prime or, you know, sort of 10 o'clock Eastern time show. No Poppy Harlow a little bit. Um, so they're on this, you know, they, they've t- they've replaced CNN's New Day. And um, I, I honestly, I think Don Lemon is, is, is good in the morning. I think he's kind of better in that ensemble kind of morning time role. Obviously, Chris Licht, whom I also know because he was Morning Joe's producer uh, back in the day. Um, he now runs CNN. He's trying to rejigger things and get the ratings back. Uh, but um, but. As we're taping this on Friday, um, yesterday, uh, Don Lemon had this, you know, this, uh, I don't know what you would call it. He missed, I think he said what he said was, later he said it was inartful, but he basically said that Nikki Haley is past her prime. Um, I don't know if he was trying to defend Joe Biden or what, but but what did you make of of that comment? Well, I I don't don't know the exact word for me, but it it was very... uh, it was it was stupid first off, and he said it kind of in a weird kind of disjointed way. But he was trying to argue that Nikki Haley should be careful saying Joe Biden's past his prime because uh, uh, it is. Like, I'm not not quoting verbatim here. Uh, it's often said that women are past their prime after their 20s or 30s or even 40s, uh, and like what I think. That he was trying to say, and again, I think what he was what he was trying to say also stupid. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it, it's better in context or anything, but it's still stupid. Uh, that it's not that he thinks that women are yeah. past their prime in 30s and 40s, but that is commonly accepted. That there's a double. Uh, so it could be there is a there is a double standard, and one could say, uh, not me, but <laughs> you know that kind of thing, right? Um, and therefore, Nikki Haley she would get into political trouble by putting forth the standard because she'll get burned by it. Uh, that and just seems implausible, say- though. And look, if she was trying to enter the media world uh, and try to be uh, compete with Caitlin Collins, maybe there would be a problem because she's 51. And we know that there's a lot of kind of ageism in the media industry. Anchors kind of get pushed. Female anchors kind of get pushed aside, tend to be at a, at a certain age. but. Nikki Haley looks like she's 35. Um, she looks great. And on top of that, 51 is young in politics. I mean, how old is Dianne Feinstein? 89 or something? She's a spring chicken at 51. If he didn't mean it in an intentionally sexist way, 
It's just dumb. People don't generally say that women are past their prime in every respect after 40. Plenty of politicians get elected after their 40. Uh, Some of us love women in their 40s and 50s. Uh, I I could go down the... Have you taken a look at Salma Hayek? I mean, come on. Well, this is... uh, you you might say there is very overt sexism in the entertainment industry uh, and that women over 40 are not getting, given a lot of choice roles and, the, and their opportunities diminish uh, way too prematurely. Uh, and of course, there's the whole Madonna debate going on about the plastic surgery that she did to presumably stay viable in the entertainment industry. So I'm not saying there's no sexism in this regard, period. Uh, but I don't think... Don Lemon is accurate saying everybody says, he was going to say, Google it, just Google it. If you put in Google and Google spit out, yes, we all agree women are past their prime after 40. Uh, right, right. That's right. not a common thing that people say anymore. And it just seems implausible when talking about Nikki Haley as well. I mean, again, 51 is young in politics and Nikki Haley looks 35. So I just, I, it seemed like a weird thing to say. Well, well, I, how she looks is not relevant here, I would say. No, I think in Don Lemon's world, it would be, right? Because he's talking about double standards and perception. And if someone, you know, I think what he's saying, and now I'm going to be guilty myself of, of, of falling into the same trap <laughs> that he fell into. But I think what Don Lemon was trying to say is that there is a double standard whereby women uh, age out sooner than men. And I think he was trying to say, Nikki Haley, better be careful about that. But it just seems implausible to me. Nikki, ha- if, if Nikki Haley was 80 or even let's say she was 60. His I think his argument that there's a double standard might resonate more because maybe a man at 80 is too old. Maybe there is a double standard and maybe it's I not mean, fair. I can't even think of. Someone, someone look at example. Margaret Thatcher, right? Margaret Thatcher is a prime example of someone who seemed to defy this. This uh, well, she didn't eventually get forced out. I mean, uh, I don't know this thing was about age. I mean, I, I was trying to think of an American example of a woman elected to office who was defeated in a reelection attempt, essentially because she was too old. You know, that that was that that was the subtext of the race. I'm, I'm not aware of an example like that. I mean, Feinstein keeps getting elected. Well, you uh, see, though, she is she is now not now going to run for reelection, but it's not right. because of her age specifically. It may be an age related problem. Um, and look, I think I have a piece at the Daily Beast today. I think that age is uh, a legitimate factor to take into consideration. But there are certain people who are incredibly sharp and spry. My wife's grandfather is uh, almost 101 and incredibly lucid, incredibly sharp. Other people that I I have another relative uh, who is 80 and is not. Um, and so, uh, and by the way, I've got, my mom had 11 brothers and sisters and my dad had nine brothers and sisters. So it's impossible to know which person I'm talking about. Uh, but um, whatever the case may be, uh, before I get myself canceled, we should move on. We were talking, Bill, about CNN. Maybe we should move to Fox News because they are also uh, well. You're taking their uh, in the barrel today. You, you tell me if you know we can't talk about Tucker because I know you know you have you know 
ties to them, but he's in the middle of this of, of this controversy. There's a, there's a lawsuit going on from Dominion, which is the voting system. Fox News had commentary suggesting that it was involved in rigging the election. Dominion's suing for defamation. Uh, Fox News is trying to plead First Amendment free speech. Uh, and so in the course of the litigation, they got uh, text messages from high-level Fox News people, anchors, Rupert Murdoch, basically saying, we know what Trump's saying is nonsense about the 2020 election, which Dominion can use to say, you knew that this was false, and yet you went on air and defamed us knowingly. I mean, that's sort of, you know, sort of a classic libel thing. You need It's not that you said that it was inaccurate. There needs to be some kind of malicious intent. And so if they can prove... Uh, you, you, this was you. You did this knowing it was a lie, knowing it would hurt us, and you did it anyway. I mean, I'm not, I'm not enough of an attorney to say how strong this evidence is, but I just know that much that that is the argument that they're going for. Uh, my question to you is: With Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Rupert Murdoch having these things said on record, openly worrying about losing audience to Newsmax if they don't buy into this stuff. Uh, does the average conservative Fox News watcher, do they care? Does it actually break the bond that they've been able to maintain, even though Newsmax and OEN have like, nipped at their heels at times? Uh, does it change anything, or do they find a way to say that they're, they're, this is the media out to get us again, and they turn it back around and keep their audience? Oh, as someone who has uh, and tons of family addicted to Fox News, I can assure you that this doesn't matter one bit. <laughs> if they even find out about it, it will matter zero. Um, I think the question is whether it will matter legally at some, you know, whether Dominion will win the legal battle. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know uh, uh, the sort of the law. Um, but in the past, Bill, Fox has effectively use the argument that um, nobody believes us. We're, everybody knows we're just entertainment. Nobody believes us. We're, so um, that has worked, hasn't it? In the past where they've basically said, like, we're just an entertainment show. Uh, people don't expect us to actually, you know, get the news right. Uh, so we're absolved from from that responsibility. I, I don't know if, if that's a viable out for them this time, but I don't think that any sort of public relations uh, revelations are going to hurt them with their audience. The question is, is there some sort of huge legal uh, settlement or decision that would impair the network or at least make them think twice about how they behave? Uh, Chase. Well, well, I mean, I, I mean, you know, Fox has been sued before. They could lose a lawsuit, pay a fine and, you know, still you know, survive. Um, what if Trump attacks them now? What if Trump goes on a bender Naming Tucker, naming Sean, naming Laura Ingram, naming Murdoch, and tells tells everyone go watch Newsmax. They're the real deal. They 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 they'll tell you the truth about 2020, and Fox won't. I mean, that's what they're, Fox is nervous about, right? They're nervous about losing oh, yeah. Trump support. Well, you may remember there was a thought that Donald Trump was going to start his own media network after he lost, and possibly. Um, team with Newsmax or or OAN or or something like that. So no, I think that's is, a is major. Is OAN still around? Fear. Is OAN still air stuff? I don't know. I think they are, but I I think that they've uh, they've taken a step back in terms of their accessibility 
so I, I'm I'm curious. I mean, I mean, when Newsmax and OEN picked up some audience because Trump gave them free advertising, he hasn't done that so much as of late. And, and maybe Trump might attack Fox for like 48 hours and forget about it, and then everyone move everyone memory holds it. But I would think a sustained campaign by Trump to burn Fox could leave a mark. Well, and that's why Fox got into the predicament that they're in, right? I mean, they they had to um, preserve the big lie because otherwise they were afraid they would alienate Trump. And so that's why they got into this predicament to begin with. I mean, this is, I mean it's very probable between the GOP and Fox. You know, Trump is a cancer. He's not good for your, your business model long term. Deal with it up front instead of worrying about it later. I mean, again, uh, maybe, maybe you know, Fox has obviously persevered, you know, at this point by catering to Trump, uh, and maybe they can uh, appease him going forward. But that is the that that is, you are essentially that that sword is hanging over your head the whole time, and he could turn on you. Uh, you, you, you could get upset because something leaks and that's it. You're burned. And that just that just strikes me as a very tenuous business model to, to hold. It is. Um, and and it plagues Fox and the Republican Party in different ways. Uh, Bill, before we call it a day, uh, I got to ask you about John Fetterman, um, who there was a I think there was a New York Times story about a week ago or something that 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 revealed that um, that he or his family felt felt like keeping staying in the campaign um, hampered his ability to recover and, and possibly worsened his condition, something to that effect. And then the latest news is he he checked himself in to a hospital, uh, I guess, Walter Reed, uh, suffering with severe depression. Um, and I think the obvious first response to that is that's good. And it's depression is a very serious thing. We should all take it seriously. And if you need help, get help. Um, but then I think there's a political story here, which is like, did was it a disservice for to Fetterman and his family uh, and the Democratic Party to keep him in and to not be transparent about the uh, extent of his of his condition? Was that fair to the voters? And you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, but there was a kind of a conspiracy theory that his wife Giselle is going to replace him. And that that was been the plan, and it seems plausible that that might end up happening eventually. Well, I think it was a disservice to John Fetterman to put himself on the a grueling campaign trail when he needed to recover. And again, I'm, I'm not I'm not his doctor, but there is some sort of indication here that he, by his own team, that he has hampered his recovery. Uh, from sort of doing this, that that might be totally separate from issues of depression. Uh, just to so put the depression thing aside, uh, uh, if he needed rest to recover from a stroke, the right thing for John Fetterman was to not run for Senate and recover from the stroke. Uh, as far as being to service the Democrats, I think that's proven otherwise. He won the race, so he was a service to Democrats. Right, to stay in and hold but the seat. They, but did they prioritize winning the election over John Fetterman's health and over honesty or transparency to the voters in Pennsylvania? Well, I, it would see that voters in Pennsylvania want a Democrat, not a Republican. Uh, and 
even if Fetterman had to resign tomorrow, that sees going to, I don't know if it's going to be Giselle or somebody else. There's a, I, I don't off the top of my head if it's a governor's appointment or special election or some combination thereof. Uh, but Pennsylvania voters did not want a pro-life Republican in that seat. I think that is a fair comment to make. I mean, obviously, Dr. Ross had his own you know, personal but, issues, but this is a know, state that has been... They could have potentially swapped him out for Connor Lamb or something. Sure, um, sure. But, uh, and and maybe that almost certainly was the right thing to do for John Fetterman. Right. For, that but you said that, for, for his personal health. But, 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 but let me ask you this, Bill, and, and you and I probably have no way of knowing this for sure, but I, I'll speculate that John Fetterman was not in the state to make that decision for John Fetterman. Like that needed to be someone else, whether that's Ed Rendell or Giselle or some party boss and like someone like, I don't think John Fetterman was in a state of mind to say, I need to, I'm done. We can't know, but just as a literal matter, like he, he won the primary. So only he could quit. Uh, so I know, but, I, 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 but but someone needed needs to come to needed to come to him and say maybe somebody did. I mean, I don't know who knows what happened behind closed doors. Uh, but you can't blame the Pennsylvania Democratic Party because they didn't force him to keep running. He made. I mean, I mean, he was out there. <laughs> he was defending. He, his, he actually his was, but he the wasn't race. out there. He disappeared for like I mean, months. Others, as much as others were, but he went out there enough. In his own words, and saying, media, "I'm fine," and the Bill and the and the media was chastised by Fetterman's wife for for suggesting that that uh, this may be serious and his health conditions may be worse than we were led to believe. As I recall, well, I mean, I, I still have no reason to believe he is incapable of doing the job might be hard to do the job. Uh, it might be very might be taking a toll on his body and maybe is not what he should be doing for his personal health. But I haven't seen argument making saying like Pennsylvania voters are not being served by their Senate office because because of these conditions. I mean other uh, when Mark Kirk had a stroke and didn't show up for work for years, people didn't say he had to quit right away. Maybe somebody did, but he didn't. Uh, and people were being pretty sensitive about it. The, the, you you call the constituent problem. The staff still picks up the phone and answers your call and tries to help you. You still cast the votes. That you still have to cast the votes for uh, when your vote is needed. Uh, so all that stuff. I mean, plenty of plenty of senators have stayed in the Senate way better than they should have been. Uh, well, Diane Feinstein uh, is the classic example. Diane Feinstein, I mean, you know, shouldn't be there right now. That the she's memory issues. Well, the latest where she didn't know that she had resigned. Um, I mean, I don't I know. Mean, I don't know if that is literal. Literally, I did, and I forgot that I did it, or I didn't want to do it, and the staff put out the, the statement before the I gave them to say so. The yeah, or well, I don't know exactly what's going on. They were like, there clearly there's some legitimate issues about her about her me- her her memory that do raise the question whether she should be in that position right now or not. Uh, I don't have evidence that Fetterman is in that place, yeah. and, uh, and I, I hope everyone knows, like. This isn't like old shaming or health. I mean, like stuff happens to people and people get old. Everyone gets old if you're lucky. Um, But you probably shouldn't be in the U.S. Senate at a certain point. 
you know, and you certainly shouldn't be president. If, if you can't do the job, if you, I mean, it's yeah. one thing that, I mean, to be hospitalized, obviously if you're hospitalized, like you can't go to work that day, but we all have health issues that don't force us to quit our jobs automatically. Uh, so say you got hospitalized for depression, therefore you should quit. That's not fair. Um, uh, if he's doing things that are harmful to his own body, because he should be recovering from a stroke, he should do what's right for his personal health. I think that that's a that's a personal decision, not a public decision. Um, uh, and if and he has to, re- I mean, if he thought before, look, I got to stay in. I know this is this is hard on me, but if I drop out, who replaces me? That's going to be a mess. It won't be a unifying figure. And I can still win this thing. I got to get over the finish line. You know, there's a, there's a nobility to that. And if he harmed himself in the process. Yeah. At this point, he doesn't need to be there. Someone else can do the job. And it would probably be a Democrat. Uh, yeah. Again, I don't know off the top of my head what the what the, the vacancy uh, rules are in Pennsylvania. Well, there's a Democratic um, governor and and they just elected a Democrat to the U.S. Senate, Fetterman. So it seems you know, look, he's he's not Patrick. If Patrick Mahomes has to come out of the game, that's a big problem. But if John Fetterman is replaced, uh, I think it's going to be by a Democrat and it's probably not going to change uh, the composition of the U.S. And, and, I'm, and I'm not you know, I'm not a depression expert. Obviously, he, I would presume he uh, usually should have be in therapy as long as getting with the kind of medication he needs. Uh, plenty of people function in their lives with depression. It's a it's an illness that needs to be managed. Uh, you shouldn't be have to leave your job because of it. If his therapist says, "Look, this is not the right kind of job for you with this kind of condition," uh, my 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 professional advice is, uh, with this on top of the stroke, that you'd be better off, you know, take taking a break. Uh, you know, again, that, that's that's a personal medical decision for him to have to make. Um, uh, and, but I think the voters of Pennsylvania will be served one way or yeah. the other. I mean. You know, who knows? And maybe these things are unrelated, but just sort of reading the tea leaves, my guess is that it has hit him that he's not going to get a lot better. Like, like, this is kind of where he is. And that, I mean, we that, can't know exactly what the doctor is telling him, but that's really a possible yeah. thing that he has to face, which is speculation, but face. it makes sense to me. Um, always a pleasure, Bill. Uh, what do you want to plug? Uh, Nothing. Oh man! Except, except go go read the Washington Monthly shit every week. But I I don't Being have a court. piece up yet this week. Uh, read my stuff at the Daily Beast. I have a piece on age and ageism and uh, all that good stuff. Also, uh, recent podcasts. I had my buddies Will Ron and Jamie Weinstein from the Daily Caller were on my podcast talking about everything from UFOs to. Uh, uh, Donald Trump's nickname uh, for Meatball Ron. Uh, and I also had Bruce Melman, uh, brother of Ken Melman, back on the podcast. He's a regular talking about the issues driving politics in 2023. Check that out. Bill Sher, you're out next week, right? Uh, I, 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 have, I have a vacation scheduled Uh at the risk of uh, uh, oversharing, uh, I got a daughter. I got a fever this morning, so that might scuttle things. I got to see how that. How okay. That well, out. I'm hoping you won't be here. I'm hoping you will be on a beach, drinking a pina colada. But if not, then uh, then we'll see you next week. But hopefully, we'll see you back in two. 
It won't be that quite that kind of vacation, but, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I, maybe I, I may not. Well, that's just an average uh, Tuesday for me, Bill, but okay. <laughs> um, see you guys back here in the DMZ whenever Bill is back from his luxurious stay. Mm-hmm. See you, Bill. Take care.